Hi everyone, welcome back to the Stars and Startups podcast with me, Varun Gumri. This is the podcast where we get up close and personal with interesting founders and doers from the Indian startup ecosystem. On the podcast, we hear illuminating stories of entrepreneurship and the journey of building up businesses. Though Indians are very demanding of service, and service requests arise for less than three percent of all mobile handset sales, very few companies take it seriously. That's exactly what Servify saw as an opportunity to solve for globally from India. A large opportunity to support mobile phone brands manage customer expectations with technology and processes. On this episode, I have Srivatsa Prabhakar of Servify. We chat with Sri on his journey with Indian and global brands and taking that learning into building his second service-oriented venture. As always, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to our channels or wherever you are consuming this podcast and share our episode with others if you like it. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Today we have uh, Srivatsa, who is one of those humble founders. He's a second-time founder, but um, the interesting thing is his company, Servify, probably covers the smartphone you're currently watching this video or listening to this podcast on. The company covers the warranty period for a lot of smartphones, including Apple, Samsung, Xiaomi, uh, OnePlus. So we're going to dig into a lit, uh, it a little bit. Uh, a lot more interesting things that Sri has done and he's talked about entrepreneurship. So uh, let's say hi to Sri today. Hey Sri, how are you doing? Doing good, Varun. Thanks for uh, calling me. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you always. No, fantastic. This is uh, this is long overdue, and uh, you know, whenever I see a smartphone and I see uh, somebody having the Servify app, I think of you. So, so that's quite often. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. What's uh, what's kept you busy during lockdown? Oh, uh, meetings from uh, morning till evening. I think uh, what's lockdown done to all of us is I think uh, this work from home thing. Your calendar gets filled uh, from nine a.m. until sometimes uh, uh, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Uh, so we, we actually now say that you have two bedtimes, which is one is the time where you actually go to bed, but you still continue to work because you can work from home. Many of your calls also happen in the bed while you're sleeping. And second is the time you actually sleep. So if you ask me what time do you go to bed, I may say 9 o'clock. But if you ask me what time do I sleep, probably 12 o'clock in the night. So... That's what lockdown has done, but I think uh, it's 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 getting really monotonous. Uh, but uh, yeah, probably that's the new way of life that we all are getting used to. We are we are trying to be as uh, creative as possible, but I think uh, there's no choice but stay 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 inside your homes. Well, you, you uh, Servify has become a global company, so I'm I'm sure uh, you were jet setting prior to uh, lockdown, and and the time with family now is probably a boon for you. Yeah, it used to be. So first couple of months, you know, my family, my wife used to say that, wow, we didn't achieve something for the last 10 years of our marriage. And uh, she was always complaining, you know, almost 15 days I used to travel uh, international. And of course, uh, you know, uh, even when I'm in India, I was never home, right? I mean, I used to come at late in the evenings, morning I would leave early or I will travel. Mm. Uh, after two months, she's saying, when are you going back? I think that's, anyway, jokes apart. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's yeah. been a fantastic family time. Uh, my son really enjoys uh, me being around. And I think it's it's mm. long overdue. So in that sense, uh, that's probably a good opportunity for, for me and my family in this adversity. But uh, yeah, so we are enjoying family time. 
but at the same time yes it's uh, almost getting to a point it's too much family time now i think you <laughs> also want to socialize you also want to go out uh, but uh, yeah so enjoying enjoying time so far um no i think i think that's the scenario for a lot of folks right i think um, everybody is cooped up they're seeing the same faces every day some people don't have the space to move around um three i want to get a certify and you know the amazing work that you guys are doing but before we get there you've had some gigs with some very very interesting hardware component manufacturers uh nokia tata lg bpl samsung you've had a lot of interesting uh, gigs what was your most favorite of them all and, and why you call it interesting but uh, that's interesting <laughs> believe me everybody around me uh, of course other than the folks that i used to work with uh, always thought yeah. my bo- work was boring because like i always say it's not sexy right it's service it's customer experience customer service so people really did not think my work was uh, uh, you know sexy exciting interesting but i think i always loved what i did uh, so i started my career with bpl uh, though you know i would have liked to be on the sexier side of all those businesses but uh, i think as destiny and luck would have it uh, i was not on the sexy side and that's where i think the opportunity also lies today uh, where we are building probably a category and a business which uh, we are very very confident because nobody really participated in that opportunity but coming back to when i started uh, started with bpl yes they were the largest uh, manufacturers uh, and sellers of tvs and refrigerators and uh, washing machines so they were they were category leaders in those days so we always used to call them uh, the apple of india then right so bpl was my first company uh, so if you ask me out of all the companies so i worked also with samsung nokia tatas uh in the past but if you ask me uh, one of the companies that really set the foundation for me as a person as an as a corporate executive as an ent- entrepreneur is certainly bpl because beyond just the job uh, i think the kind of training we used to get the kind of learnings and including the kind of flexibility and real customer support uh, not just in presentations but really in spirit was with that company i can tell you so when when i was just an engineer i joined as a trainee uh, but i could almost take a decision in the favor of a customer uh, because i was empowered to take that decision just that i couldn't really execute that, that decision without my supervisor's approval but i could almost commit saying sir we will do this for you i think that's the level of uh, you know uh, flexibility that company provided in the interest of customer so i think that's if you ask me really the foundation where i would really call great customer service uh, ethos uh, that i also probably uh, learned from so it was a company really really uh, consumer centric uh, and of course a great company in terms of culture in terms of the growth in terms of learning uh, certainly so i would rate very high and uh, of course you know every company that i worked with i think i learned i had good uh, uh, people to work with another company which i would really uh, you know call out of course tata is is where i learned the maximum if you ask me uh, thanks to uh, one of our head of businesses uh, mr vikas whom i always consider as uh, again a person that taught me a lot about how to manage teams how to run large scale operations he was ruthless no doubt he was completely a maverick Uh, if you ask me you know people people still say that he comes in dreams of people right so but at the same time he's the one who was 
absolutely clear on uh, a very objective way of delivering performance so he's the one who taught uh, all of those critical aspects of how to run unemotionally uh, when it comes to performance but at the same time uh, love what you do and enjoy what you do uh, think of scale think of long term uh, process driven uh, approach so a lot of these learnings from tatas and last but not the least i would say nokia which is a company again uh, where i really had a lot of fun uh, because that company was again highly valued company uh, you know i can give you one example uh, so uh, nokia the company would never agree on auditing something so when uh, india as a company right so i think somebody recommended for an audit of partners uh, it was completely unheard of uh, in the headquarters of nokia they said what the hell how can you not trust your partners and you want to conduct an audit on them it was almost like you know you are you are asking something that's absolutely unfair because the company always thought that we should believe in people we should believe in our partners and if you have not got the right partners it's a problem at our end not at their end so i think a lot of these uh, you know i would say values uh, i i keep uh, learning from all these associations and i continue to do that uh, right from my entrepreneurial days to my friends that i work with or Uh, the companies that we work with but if you have to pick these three these three i would uh, call it as my great learnings in my corporate world uh, that that's awesome i think uh, they're all great brands uh, in their own right bpl uh, right. i still remember the tagline believe in the best uh, yes, i, I guess, believe in the uh, best yeah <laughs> um and and i think a lot of people will remember some of the electronics that they probably own and and i think that's been a resurgence of the brand uh, more recently um yeah see your last gig prior to starting up was with uh, nokia right and yeah. was that at the time when uh, they were going through turmoil and when they had to kind of no. uh, yeah no so i left when nokia had 70 uh, 70% plus market share in india globally 40% plus probably uh, uh, they were at the peak of their uh, uh, game i would also call uh, probably the game of arrogance uh, because they were market <laughs> leaders they, they didn't do anything wrong right so when mm. i left the month actually i resigned nokia did the highest ever i think they crossed 6 million sales that month so nokia used to wow. do during my time 5 million units a month uh, uh, so they used to sell about 5 million units and the month i resigned uh, it was over 6 million units sold so uh, certainly uh, when i left of course uh, you know everybody uh, family to friends to including our uh, uh, you know ceo of the company said this is the biggest blunder you're doing uh, because there is no better company than nokia worldwide right i mean nokia was today's apple or an amazon or an equivalent of mm-hmm. that or a microsoft right mm-hmm. because nokia did everything right nokia was the largest company by uh, market share by revenue in india of course they were again extremely large and uh, uh, across the world nokia india used to contribute about uh, 12% to the top line mm-hmm. so you can imagine uh, those days nokia used to do over 4 billion dollars revenue and one of the largest companies so everything was good but yes yeah. you know you had to be an entrepreneur I think, right i i oh, of course we'll we'll come to that in just uh, a moment but if, i think people our age um would have had their first phone as a nokia phone right i think uh, yeah a lot of people would have had their first nokia phones uh, rather their first mobile phone would have been a nokia feature phone at least 
and then yeah. uh, you know obviously Nokia didn't transition very well into the smartphone segment. So uh, I think a majority of India today wouldn't necessarily remember Nokia from those days. Uh, but I still think uh, a lot of feature phones, even for a short period of time, was a Nokia phone. I think people enjoyed having that. Was it gut wrenching to see the hardware business go through the turmoil that, that it did? Being yes, uh, of course, I, Alan. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. I think you know there are a few things Nokia didn't do well. I mean, you can still remember, right? Thin pin charger, hai kya? So Nokia transitioned from a thick pin yeah. charger, which was a feature everywhere. People people would travel internationally, but wouldn't carry their chargers because they knew mm. that there will be a Nokia user somewhere where I can get a charger. So you can imagine yeah. that's the kind of market share and reputation they had. And then they moved into thin pin from thick pin. That was the innovation then, right? So people would ask this question, thin pin charger hai kya? So coming back to your question, Varun, yes, it's, it's really, really sad. Uh, I think the problem was, you know, uh, company companies need to pivot at the right time based on what the customers tell you, right? So I think Nokia really didn't pivot well. I'll give you a couple of examples. So Nokia started yeah. something called as Nokia Money. Okay, this was during our time in 2009, 2008. Nokia Money is nothing but your phone pay or Paytm today. Yeah. So Nokia pioneered wallet about 10, 15 years before anybody else could think of. So they were way ahead of in their thinking, no doubt. One, of course, you know, the infrastructure was not so advanced and the regulations were not so supportive. But also, I think they, they lacked the execution on the non-hardware side of business. So Nokia started something called as Nokia Services, which was their non-hardware business, screwed up completely because the devices were still not capable. So if you if you Remember, there was a model called 6600, right? 6600. Yeah. That was one of the most uh, uh, popular Nokia devices. And in that phone with the Symbian 60 operating system, you could actually have applications loaded. So you can sideload a a, a Morpheus application or music or all of that. So if you ask me, today's app stores and today's all those apps that you have, it was already a reality which Nokia had thought. Like again, yeah, this, was on, this was on the Symbian OS. This was on the Symbian OS that they had uh, developed. Um, obviously, the utilization was a little different because they were coming out with uh, hundreds of phones every uh, year and they would use OS in, in different ways. Obviously, it wasn't the same. It kept evolving. Yeah, so they had multiple. So S30, S40, and S60. S60 was the smart OS to, to call it that way. And uh, S30 and S40 were primarily feature phone, non-smart OS. Mm. But they had almost everything in place. But again, the thinking, and I think that's what an Apple did differently, right? So I can tell you when, uh, and this is, of course, uh, a lot of uh, heavy heart I'm saying this because I'm still a great Nokia fan uh, for the very reason I also worked with them. When the iPhone 7 was launched, right? Uh, the immediate reaction from the leadership of no- then leadership of Nokia was, what will a computer company do in phones? They will never be successful. I think, you know, if you don't treat your competition well, or if you don't take your competition seriously, today's world, I think that's what Apple did, right? So they said very clearly that it is all about bringing an ecosystem together. You don't have to be a specialist in a, a specific area. You can always get speciality. But thinking about an ecosystem, 
I think is what matters, and that's what Apple did from day one, getting the hardware and software story well. So therefore, uh, iPhone was a revelation, right? I mean, at that time, Nokia had a comparable X twenty five or some some model. I don't remember exactly. It was still with okay. keypads, right. right? So, so I, I, I remember also getting uh, a Nokia. So this was in two thousand and ten, and I and I bought a Nokia. I'm like, I'm not going to give into this uh, whole uh, you know hype of no of the Apple, and I wanted to stick with a Nokia. I remember getting one with a with a with a pencil, and you know you're able to yeah. That's that's the model I'm referring to. Yeah. So even that was a little tough to actually access. Uh, you know, even that even typing on it uh, was a little hard because I think it had two screens, and then you need to be able to touch the other screen with the first screen, right? So it yeah. involved a little bit of an effort from your side for it to uh, you know actually use that phone. It was a great phone, though. It still had the uh, amazing qualities of Nokia, which was durable. You know, it, it looked great. It you know uh, had all of that, but just I had to give it up about three months uh, into it because I'm like, you know, this is not really working out for me because you know uh, there are so many other phones that have come out which probably give you greater value for you know the time you're spending on it. You spend a lot of time with your phones, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Shri, so when all of this was happening, um, you kind of rather when Nokia was at its peak, you said, "Okay, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to go do my own thing." And the entrepreneurial entrepreneurship bug bit you. Uh, what was that big idea that you wanted to go and pursue, and why? Okay, so so I think you know. Uh... I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I mean, every company where I worked, I never worked uh, really like you know. Uh, I should do this because this is my job. I always did it as if uh, it were my company, right? So I think uh, that attitude uh, stayed all along. And uh, of course, many a times you would also think, "Shit, man, it's time now to really move on and do my own because this company is not accepting my idea," right? So I think uh, these things always happened. It probably required that nudge. and uh, during the nokia time i think i had an emotional moment uh, which was losing my parent and uh, not so uh, cordial comment by my supervisor and i said this is it so let's start and always had the idea like i said wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, what else did i knew uh, I, i didn't know anything other than service to be honest i mean that was my area of expertise and of course you know uh, we always wanted to see uh service as a differentiator and while everybody believed in it but again service always was treated as a cost center it's a liability but so it's it's more of a necessity rather than uh, a a clear differentiator people thought and uh, that's how uh, there was no real investment whether in terms of people or technology or resources so it was always left to a uh, few people to manage rather than really look at it as a strategic priority so we said why can't i create a network of so if you remember at that time when i started my first company in 2009 the retail was moving into a very consistent large format experience so you would always have this mom and pop stores but uh, then came the chromas then came the reliance digitals then came the vijay sales of the world where you can almost experience uh, or or you know uh, experience consistency in all the stores all the time 
but at the same time think of it when i was with nokia we had 740 odd service centers if you ask me as a consumer the consumer would have 740 experiences if he has to visit all of them because right. though they are all looking the same but the experience would vary because they were run by 740 entrepreneurs and they would all run the way they would want to run because uh, while they were all processes on paper but execution was never there because there was no platform to manage there was no consistent kpis to draw so we said so my idea was why don't you create this consistent experience and create a branded service experience too on the after sale service like how chroma is a brand that you can visit for retail or buying why can't you visit to tss for service and that's how we started and the first company that actually heard our story believed in it was apple uh, obviously uh, you know because they were very ahead of others on customer experience and that was the time when apple was not too big they were still dependent on service through carriers so we started the first service center in thane and that was an apple exclusive uh, uh, experience location and that's how i started so luckily uh, you know many other brands thereafter we created a large network and uh, it was again a complete asset light model where we created franchise uh, operations and uh, therefore we were able to scale significantly without much investment so it was bootstrapped so that's that's how the the, the scale and uh, what we, whatever we achieved was uh, achieved so that was the big idea if yeah. you ask me wow so you scale that business uh, bootstrapped and then exited um, that business in about 4 years 5 years yeah about 4 and 1/2 years yeah and but it was primarily the the objective was to offer a consistent service delivery for these brands so that they wouldn't have to worry about that aspect uh, you and your team yeah. would basically take care of that experience right yeah so um, i will explain what used to happen so typically if you see uh, if you have to be a large format service entity which means you are servicing let's say five different brands what would happen is an apple would have a certain process and therefore a certain system a samsung would have a different process and a different system and a motorola would have a different process and a different system reality was they were all exclusively being run by individual owners and small entrepreneurs so they could still achieve something of that control but when it comes to large format and a company like a uh, tss then had to manage imagine can i actually control my operations getting into five different platforms not possible so what we said is we said we will build an overarching platform to manage my operations and plug all different processes of different oems therefore when i run i consistently use one interface my plat my team uses one interface but again we adhere to the norms defined by the brands and that's how we built and on top of all of that if you ask me none of the oems and that's a reality even today which is what uh, then led to servify uh, uh, most of the oems also had platform to manage more of parts transaction inventory and etc nothing to do with the consumer because only 5% 4% customers would come for service so nobody built a kind of a crm so that was what uh, we built at tss and that really gave us a lot of advantage because when you run 300 odd service locations you can't really run it on an excel or you know uh, on on some system that you don't have control but we built all of that with automated processes but also could see consistent kpis being achieved 
because we build a lot of controls that will help us or visibility that will help us correct any situation if they were not consistent so that's that was a big difference if you ask me so we built again a tech enabled business then uh, but again all the fulfillment was being done by us ourselves no that's a that's a great story i think uh, there's a lot to learn for folks who are seeing behind the scenes right uh, a, a lot a lot of the time when you look at uh, you know a problem if you start looking at the larger picture you're probably going to see a lot more opportunities and i think that's probably what the service solution tss is because you basically extrapolate it to a larger industry and say hey if this is not working for this one brand uh, you know can can this work for more brands and then can this be a larger opportunity that you can go after can you tell our listeners what exactly is servify today how does it interact with the customer servify if you ask me uh, you know we are an enterprise business right so we are not a direct to consumer business therefore if people don't have our app or don't know us we are okay with it we are like the intel inside we are like the qualcom so servify is a platform that facilitates great customer experience when it comes to after sales whether it is your warranty service whether it is a damage protection which was always thought as an insurance before uh, that is covered by us whether you want to exchange your old device and buy a new device so that entire buyback and trade in journeys covered by us and we said we should again do this as apple care for example for apple or samsung care because you are buying a samsung phone so you will definitely like samsung to care for you not a servify to care for we may facilitate and therefore servify exists but it is yet samsung or an apple or a xiaomi or a motorola or a nokia or a oneplus that is still delivering that experience in, in the minds of consumer and that is where uh, uh, servify is a brand behind this uh, but we are facilitating the protection business the uh, the revenue opportunities for these uh, uh, oems uh, after sales and also experience elements which is uh, you know just on the trade in buyback side if you ask me there was no difference to a lemon and a peach before whether you have a good device old device or a, a bad device you would get the same price because the assessment was depend on somebody physically looking at it and say ha dikhta acha hai but with technology you don't need and that's where a lot of fraud happens and what mm-hmm. used to result ultimately is a good customer also gets a bad price we said with technology we can differentiate and therefore we can create that uh, differentiated model ultimately leading to making money so these are some foundational aspects of a business so servify is a platform that is probably built to unlock a multi billion dollar opportunity after sales until your next purchase so if you ask me that's my one line pitch when okay. we met for the first time you had mentioned servicing me in unsexy business and you also referred to that again today um why servify and what appeals to you about the unsexiness of this business so i think uh, you know uh, again going back to basics service is your right right as a consumer unfortunately it was always made to believe that you need to demand to get something uh, i think that's almost across the globe service is consumer's right so there are consumer laws to protect that why can't a business be built on service i mean think of amazon right today i mean there are customers and of course partners but Amazon's ethos if you see Jeff Bezos letter today that company does everything around consumer i think customer obsession is a value for them it is is in their dna right and that's the reason why it is where it is think of it 
that was never the case in most companies because the relationship with the consumer was the lifetime value was from a transaction that you do where you pay money the moment you have an obligation to fulfill it was always thought as a pain a cost but that's early days i'm going back to nokia days if you ask me service was predominantly only hardware service and even the products wouldn't fail because the products were just hardware it was basic product for the purpose it was built but today the devices have evolved significantly not just devices if you see cars i mean i can tell you cars have become machines computers right so mm-hmm. there is a lot that you need to deliver to consumers and consumers are willing to pay for it what is prime amazon prime i i am an amazon prime user and i order for my son a toy it gets delivered in 4 hours or 6 hours do i really need 6 hours delivery but i still subscribe to amazon because i feel nice that something comes as quick as because there is infrastructure to deliver that there is a platform and technology to deliver that but unfortunately that's not the case when it came to most things after sales and that's where we said uh, uh, you know when nobody is looking at it obviously because it's not sexy i mean think of it if you have to go back to your family and explain servify versus probably your other business where you co-founded a payments uh, business or an hr uh, platform don't you think the other two are simpler to explain versus what servify does that's real right but if you are able to explain that hey you know servify actually helps you fix your phone they understand it quickly but then they f- probably feel that oh this is another repair company right it is yeah. not the experience yeah. that is a differentiator it is the repair that is a differentiator unfortunately so that's the reason i say it's unsexy and with due respect it is not just your family it is even my family i can tell you even today my family still calls me many a times when i say family the extended family when they need to buy a tv or when their tv doesn't work or when their milk gets spoiled in the fridge hey you know i have a whirlpool fridge it is not working can you get it fixed that's when they remember me that's how unsexy service is right because they know that i have spent 20 years in service so i can help them yeah. fix now mm. if they want to know a feature about how to use it effectively they will never think of me because service was never sexy that way even if you go to the site website of a company let's say you want to make cookies on your microwave do you think where do you get a, uh, any any assistance from google right not from the company YouTube. that manufactured the microwave right or youtube right so that's how unsexy that industry was which is what we believe we are trying to change one step at a time but yeah so that's the unsexy part and the also the reason is of course you know that's the only space i understand probably or you know have a lot of conviction on so that's again back to why i'm in that space but definitely third very important aspect is when it is unsexy and when you have less people really participating in a very large opportunity i think you are mm. almost able to create a category or make you know make a significant difference and that's the reason uh, if you ask me money is no more a driver or a motivator now uh, uh, it used to be no doubt it is important but like i said you know it is about the difference that you are able to create rather than the money you make so certainly there is a significant opportunity because of the very unsexy nature a lot of these companies like apple oneplus xiaomi which is now one of the largest uh, manufacturers in india uh, providing mobile phones when they have such scale when they have large enough user base have all the ability to uh, you know manage their users themselves why do they look towards a third party somebody else to 
provide the experience um i would imagine sure. there's always a cost saving um you know when they're able to move that uh, outside and then basically squeeze a third party for costs and not have to think about it uh but also the philosophy these days has changed in in terms of you know i can be a top provider only if i have all of these uh you know check check boxes including great service because you know you have your phone for a long period of time uh with you and it has become a very important part of our lives uh so i'm curious why servify why would they choose a third party sure so i think you know first uh, answer to your question is uh certainly over the last uh, few years maybe a decade or so or more uh the perception about servify within the oems within the brands has certainly changed so it's no more a presentation topic they genuinely want to deliver service so i think that's a big uh, uh, help for us as a company or people like us so i think companies really want to deliver great experience but at the same time they have a core business xiaomi or an apple or a samsung or any of these companies their core business is designing great products and distributing them to the end user right they are not uh, manufacturing it themselves if you ask me who manufactures the phone themselves maybe very few they still outsource it to a very large manufacturer who is specialized right. in that so lot of uh, yes correct right and same way selling are you saying apple cannot establish its own retail stores across the country with the money they have and the scale they can why do they still sell it through third parties why do they still sell through amazon why do they still sell through chromas of the world and apple retail uh, partners of the world so i think many brands and that is you know applicable to almost all of these brands their dna is to design great products distribute and make sure it reaches the hands of every single consumer uh, that they target to and keep maintaining that innovation cycle on so they are spending a lot of time in building the next future products which is where innovation and all of that goes in rather than transactional aspects which are not core to them and that's exactly where i think uh, we are coming and when it comes to after sales uh, you know like how you have within a product imagine uh, if you go to a foxconn which is a contract manufacturer of choice let's say manufacturing for five different brands or eight different brands if they have to source camera for a particular product whereas camera manufacturer is the same it may be different camera on an iphone to a different camera on a fox uh, on a, a xiaomi phone don't you think they have economies of scale to go back to that manufacturer and therefore able to consolidate at a total bill of material of the product and that's exactly what in service also we are able to do for example if i sign up with the fedex for logistics because i do logistics activity for five brands my transaction volume is significantly higher and therefore i am able to get a better price and better attention so if you ask me the brands objective except probably few it is not really to squeeze per se it is to get economies of scale so i think that's the second advantage they get third since this is our core business we will write processes that are more scalable and sustainable and we will always be ahead of probably what's going to happen because we also want to be in the business i think that gives them a visibility of futuristic changes that they can quickly adapt without real investment which is again on a non core so i think these are some of the reasons if you ask me so i would put it very positively that they are not focusing on what is not core to them though it is an important kpi to achieve like how you want to achieve sales targets but they don't sell themselves same way services they want to deliver great experience and therefore they still own the process it's just that they don't make it happen uh, they don't deliver it themselves does that does that 
yeah, I, I think it, I think it makes a lot of I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, basically, what you're saying is that you know we will take care of the uh, of delivering the process that is set up. It's just that you know Apple can't be everywhere, and hence we take care of it for them. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Servify is present in about thirty countries, right? Um, or is it is it more? Yeah, it's more because you know when you say Europe alone, that gives you twenty six countries. So regions is what I would probably prefer to call. <laughs> So we are present in the in North America that includes US and Canada. Uh, okay. We are present in Europe. Uh, all across Europe now, our services are available for specific brands. Uh, we are present in Middle East. We are present in India. Uh, we also have uh, subsidiaries in Australia, Singapore, and China. China we have presence, but more from a supply chain and uh, uh, you know relationship management. Uh, so we are present in multiple geographies. We are setting up in Saudi and Hong Kong and also in Israel. So. We are we are scaling up, uh, but yes, uh, it's it's a global business uh, now, and that's uh, because you know we took a, a very structurally different approach, which was everything based on a platform, and I think that's the real advantage or real uh, reason why we are able to scale quickly, ex- uh, you know, outside of India too, because it's a platform and not really dependent on people. Actually, that was going to be my question: is um, when you look at each of these countries, they have. Different uh, expectations, right? From servicing itself, uh, they're very different in terms of needs and and what they're expecting from a service uh, delivery standpoint. What were some of the things that you had to plan for uh, in terms of uh, enabling service? Because service is looked at a not so scalable process. It's a people-driven process, and when you say platform. What were some of those aspects that drove to creating a platform, and what is part of this platform? Okay, so I think one thing which was common across the world, and it is still the same, is service still needs to be demanded rather than delivered without asking for it, right? So I think therefore there is clear view. And secondly, uh, we are not really changing anything from a, a very uh, basic delivery model perspective because there are still those thousands of delivery fulfillment partners and for example tss my earlier company or b2x it still exists right it's just that we are now almost building a layer that brings everybody together and that's the reason you're able to better the process so one if you ask me did you do any innovation process innovation yes we brought a lot of efficiency because technology can bring that efficiency without having to follow up with people it was in tech in service business if you ask me uh, what is the technology that is used the most it is probably whatsapp and excel that's a technology and here you built a technology which is actually bringing everybody in the same uh, uh, everybody in the ecosystem on a same platform and which therefore helps you deliver consistently every time and everywhere so let's say there are physical and digital channels whether it is app or web or physical service center or a call center or a retail store unfortunately the experience was very different Uh, uh in all of these channels which is what we kind of uh, you know uh, i would say made made it consistent with the platform so uh, to that effect if you ask me what did we do differently we brought the existing or many of the existing providers on the same platform because now the platform also gives you that transparency so it brings efficiency automatically because you can go back to somebody who is not doing well and say that hey you know i'm taking you out of the platform throwing you out because you're not delivering and which is not therefore dependent on them saying how well they did 
versus now us telling them how well or bad they did so i think uh, it, that that's why we are able to scale so again uh, we are not just a service play one uh, that service play again we couldn't do it on our own unless the oems or the brand owners really felt the need to deliver that so two things if you ask me really changed one the technology platform helped us bring that consistency and scale but at the same time it could be democratized only when the oems who actually have the power and muscle to make that happen and that's the reason we are able to scale across the world what what is the secret sauce then what is it that so, they are signing up for uh one uh, because nobody really focused on this non sexy business to bring see it is operationally intense imagine i have close to 90000 retailers on my platform i have over 17000 service providers on my platform think of it getting each of those 17000 service providers on the platform do you think it would be easy getting those 90000 retail and i have a five member sales team nine member ops team so just think of it and if you have to do that and if you need to build a platform to do that i think we did a lot of uh, you know innovation on the process side making the whole process prepaid making the whole process self serving uh, there is amazing dashboards and visibilities it is self learning lot of these aspects which actually created that edge but if you ask me the secret sauce it's just getting everybody aligned with that common objective and which is what is the toughest part if you ask me um see you probably have incredible amount of data that's coming in with over a billion handsets that are probably under uh, service under the service service umbrella does this lead to other interesting business models above servicing or as an ancillary to servicing that could become you know valuable so uh, you know we we almost follow the vegas principle right what happens in vegas stays in vegas so for us data is not our business and will never be our business it will be to improve our uh, delivery model for our partners so we will never misuse the data so it is never going to lead to any ancillary business yes you are right we have tons of data tons i mean i can tell you <laughs> it's it's tons of data right but uh, uh, whatever happens inside the platform stays inside the platform so we will never do any of those promotional activities cross selling without uh, uh, that uh, you know uh, uh, benefits our partners uh, which is the brands uh, but otherwise uh, data is only to better our own uh, business model performance but not to really you know piss off the customers with selling i, I can't really sell uh, and uh, A, a, I would say a washing machine to a phone customer. Even if I know that he will probably buy, because that's how uh, serious for us data is. But uh, if you ask me, yes, we have tons of data which also helps us. I think if you ask me one uh, aspect, yes, how will it help? If I have to be very objective about a decision, let's say we have partnership with carriers, with the financial institutions, with the uh, OEMs. So we have a lot of data on affordability behavior of the customer also. So. tomorrow if i want to launch an affordability based service model certainly i will use that data for example uh, today if you want to buy a product you have emi option which is provided by the banking or uh, financial partners but tomorrow why not service also you can buy on a subscription model we will probably use that data for that but not for anything other than that i will not help him uh, or i will not share this data to a housing uh, loan company because that customer has been a loyal i know he's a good paymaster so <laughs> certainly it's not for misuse yeah
I, I mean, it's important, uh, you know, to have those boundaries, right? I think the, the, the firewall is required to shield a lot of these, uh, well, the trust of different carriers coming to you and, and the customers who are coming to you. Correct. Shri, you're a second-time founder, and I believe this time around, you took on a little bit of external capital to basically, you know, kind of blow this up. Uh, well, take it to a large scale. Um, mm-hmm. You have incredible investors. You have, uh, you know, investors like Bnext, uh, Iron Pillar, uh, Bloom. Uh, they probably backed you early. Um, were they chasing you down because you ch- checked a lot of boxes, right? You've done this business before, like you understand servicing uh, as an industry extremely well. You're a second-time founder, and you're going after a business that you know from the outside looks extremely huge, uh, and you're probably well suited to solve it um did you have to actually go and knock on those doors or you know they were yes, hounding you down wanting to write checks no no no, no. no i don't think uh, you know it's a it's a business for everybody right so investors also reach out to you uh, but i think uh, you know getting seed money is always easy if you have a kind of a background but i think as you scale uh, you need to really convince every moment of the day uh, while you may have good investors, I mean, we were lucky that Iron Pillar backed us despite, uh, you know, the lockdown and coronavirus situation. We actually raised our Series C uh, during this pandemic. So uh, uh, that's, that's you know, because there are good people, they believe in our business. But certainly every investor goes after good opportunities and that's not really wrong. But at the same time, however successful you may be, you will still need to approve a business model, right? So it's it's therefore uh, us always uh, it's it's mutual in that sense but new investors i can tell you uh, getting money was not easy for service related business right one uh, like i said it's not sexy and where do you bucket you are saying it's a platform but you are actually responsible for the customer experience so it's not really a saas play a lot of this you know unfortunately the first time uh, people have to convince their own uh, lps and their own ics uh, you know ics etc right so to that extent, uh, raising money is tough, uh, not just for our business, but I think in general, unless you're in a very popular, uh, uh, most certain category. So probably Zoom would have been able to raise money like this because of the pandemic. Everybody moved to Zoom, right? So, But if you ask me, uh, in our kind of business, however uh, strong you may be, uh, I'm not saying I am very strong, but as a founder, uh, even if, let's say, Mr. Sachin Bansal would have started, people would have still asked him to prove the metrics. So. In my view, therefore, raising money is difficult, not easy. We were lucky that we got good people to back us. And as we are scaling and people are hearing good things about us, we have more and more people interested. But I can tell you, this, these are only leads that uh, doesn't really lead to our investment, yeah. really, but to a good, healthy discussion. What changed from the last time to this time? Because last time you you know wanted to build a company, Bluestack, or you know, either by choice or by force, uh, what changed this time around? <laughs> yeah, last time, uh, if you ask me, I didn't know anything about startup. I knew that I'm building something of my own. So it was more about passion only. Uh, didn't have the real knowledge of the startup ecosystem, to be honest. I was not uh, even giving interviews like this. So it was all about building, solving a problem, and you knew that you would eventually make money. So uh, I think uh, not mature enough also, I would say, and taking money was always considered because we were told when we were small that you shouldn't take money from outsiders 
and uh, uh, when you take then you lose sleep so never took money and we were always thinking taking money was bad but i think uh, as you are scaling and building a large business i think you need capital and there is no harm in it uh, it's just that uh, if you take from bank it was always considered okay but not from vcs but i think because you need to answer a lot of probably on, on at times stupid questions also uh, uh, but i think uh, you need capital to grow your business and that's a reality that i learned quickly after my last business uh, uh, and that's the only reason why we are able to scale globally because you need to invest to reach a certain stage you need to keep investing uh because when you are building large business uh, i think you need to wait and have patience to really uh, uh, get the cycle going because it's a longer cycle that you're working on so as we speak you know it's been four and a half years now and this is now we are seeing uh, 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 break even mm-hmm. and but at the at a scale so i think uh, that kind of investment was necessary to build a global business if i had not taken money i would have still been uh, you know building but not really a large enough business that could Uh, impact everyone more recently i've seen you talk a little bit more about entrepreneurship and the there's one video that i watched which is called the six c's of entrepreneurship i want to <laughs> basically diverge a little bit and and i want our uh, audience to also hear from you on some of those aspects and before the call you mentioned the six c's have become eight c's so what has changed between the two and and you know uh, can you take us through that sure sure so by the way the evolution of all these six e's and two e's and uh, i think uh, just coincidental right so when you're talking to few people and say that hey this is something we should adopt as a company but uh, if you ask me the the basics on six e's is my own experience as as a as a founder as an entrepreneur right and therefore uh, is very real uh, so of course the reason why sixes became eightsies is also a testament to the fact that you need to constantly evolve and that's the reality of life again and i think uh, uh, the additional one of the cs in these days is coronavirus so that's why it has become eightsies uh, so you know you need to be uh, you need to be uh, uh, con- realistic right you need to be uh, uh, you need to be on, on on your toes all the time and also very practical and relevant so i think that's uh, what is uh, 8c is all about so uh, the basics of 8c is for me uh, as an entrepreneur is you know it, it all starts with curiosity so if you remember as kids and many of us uh, i mean i'm always giving example of my son who comes with all those questions many times you may even get irritated but he has no ego no hesitation to ask because he wants to learn i think that's exactly what gives him that knowledge and he becomes a better man and imagine all of us tend to know tend to think that we know it all and we don't ask the right questions and that's where our curiosity really ends so i mean the lesson for me is therefore uh, curiosity keep it always curious be a lifelong student because when you are curious you get to learn and that's certainly leading to the second c for me which is clarity because when you are curious you certainly get a lot of clarity and that's what leads to a lot of your decision making in life lot of your actions because clarity of thought is something that really differentiates between uh, very successful people and not so successful people because you take decisions with a lot of logic behind it of course you know in life you also take emotional decisions but at least when you have clarity you are almost certain of the outcome so i think 
that's my second C. And this is again very relevant to, to uh, you being an entrepreneur also, right? Because you need to know what exactly you are driving after. Is it fame? Is it real uh, uh, business value? Is it value to your shareholders and stakeholders? Stakeholders, when I say it, includes the consumers. So you need to be absolutely clear. What, what are you doing? Because many a times we've seen, uh, and I think statistically also it says, over 90% of the startups fail because their uh, very thought of being uh, being an entrepreneur in many cases also to get uh, popularity, right? And you can then, of course, write multiple articles why you failed. or uh, uh, But passion versus real uh, uh, reason to be an entrepreneur. Yes, you may always fail. That is, of course, applicable to big companies and everybody. But if your objective is just to get passion, uh, just to get famous, I think then it's a wrong uh, uh, clarity on which you uh, base the foundation of your company. So I think clarity, therefore, is extremely crucial for me. Uh, third certainly is commitment. Uh, that's the next C because if you don't have the commitment, uh, you know, you need to uh, really probably be ready to lose a lot of things to achieve something. Uh, that includes starting with family, right? I mean, you asked me a question. How do how do how do how does my family react now? I can tell you for almost ten years, uh, right from the time I got married, and that was the very next year I uh, started my uh, first venture. I've been away from my family, really, if you ask me, on many important occasions because I was running after a bigger objective. Of course, not that I will get that again, but I think the objective is large enough, and I can give you a simple example. When I, uh, you know, I used to earn good salary. I used to be in a good position. I could buy a house on a, every bank would give me loan. I could buy a house. And uh, frankly, my family and my wife used to always say that, why do you live in a rented house? Why can't you buy, even if it is a small one bedroom, because in Bombay, having a one bedroom house is also not so easy, right? It's expensive. It's close to about $200,000. So I used to always say that I will not buy on an uh, EMI because if I earn, let's say, 100 rupees, I don't want to end up paying 80 rupees as my EMI and always live on yeah. hand to mouth. Instead, I'm living in a good house. The day I have enough money, I will buy a house of my choice. Why should I compromise? And 10 years yeah. of hard effort or three, four years of hard efforts. And when you had a good outcome of sale of the first venture, the first thing I did was bought a house. And today I don't have uh, an EMI to go after, yeah. but I have a nice house of my own. So I think... That's the commitment I had for myself to really make it successful, to make it successful mm. for the people that work with me. So that's the third C. Fourth is certainly conviction. And I think uh, that comes with, again, a lot of uh, uh, you know belief in what you do. And if you ask me, and this is what I say, even in our office, you'll see this as posters. Conviction is my biggest funding round because that's the one that makes me uh, believe in whatever we do because... You know, just to give a couple of examples, if I have to do a demo in front of a very important customer, I know it will not, probably sometimes it will not work because it's a test environment. But I can still give some answers, probably not even making him realize that the demo didn't work, right? And that's a conviction because you almost are certain of even potential uncertainties. So I think that's certainly very important to be an entrepreneur. So that's, I think, again, the fourth C for me. So conviction. When you have all of this, I think you also need to be courageous. And I think that's exactly, again, going back to a very recent uh, uh, episode, if you ask me, of Mukesh Ambani, right? When, when he started Geo, the first thing that he said is, data network doesn't exist in our country. Can I democratize data? And I think 
he really did that in whatever means and ways. Uh, uh, some people have plus and minus uh, views about it or positive or negative views, but I think that's courageous, right? You you need to really be courageous, and that's what most successful entrepreneurs, whether it is Jeff Bezos, whether it is Steve Jobs, they were not the most popular from uh, uh, you know if you ask me for the decisions they would have taken inside their companies. And there are there are even stories when Steve Jobs used to take the lift, people would you know, avoid those uh, journey with him, right? Because he would ask questions and if you're not really answering uh, it right, it might be a last day. Uh, you get so, tired, yeah. But they were incredible. Yeah, but they were incredibly courageous, right? They took decisions where uh, they challenged the status quo. So I think you need to be courageous and that used to be my five C's which used to lead to the sixth C which in the earlier parlance six C's uh, was Concord. So we said, if you have these five C's as your DNA, you can always conquer the world, which is the sixth C. But I, I think you know, over a period of time, especially in the current context, we said, that's not enough. You need to also start caring for people because you know the market is so difficult. Uh, yes, as you know, organization, uh, as, as economy, we are not really going uh, well. But as leaders, it's our responsibility to take care of our people. That's what parents do, right? So we said, you need to care for your people because it's not a short-term partnership you have with your people or with your company. It's it's a long-term uh, ambition that you're building. And therefore, if you also let go of them at this difficult time, then you're not really setting the right example. So we said, we have to introduce the six Cs, uh, uh, I mean, the seventh C into the six Cs. And that's what care is all about. So you need to care for people around you, care for the business you are in, care for stakeholders and that's the seventh c if you ask me and uh, reality is there is also the coronavirus so that's the eighth c so we said situations will be as good as coronavirus in yep. the future yep. so build build everything sustainable in a manner that you may have such eventualities which are completely out of your control and that's the reality of uh, uh, six uh, the eight c's today so that's foundation uh, you know for me the eight c's from six c's today Hopefully, the eighth C is going to be temporary and leave the world uh, hopefully somewhat better. Uh, yes, again, it's a, it's only you know uh, uh, more about uh, symbolism, right? So, uh, yeah. coronavirus is just a symbol, but we are saying that there will be a lot of coronaviruses in our future in our lives, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what you need to be prepared for, uh, because you can't always predict uh, everything in life, and you need to be ready to manage such. Uh, uh, uncertainties and that's exactly what coronavirus has taught us i mean think of yeah. behavior change right work work from home so all of us are today so productive rather more productive and especially yeah. in asian markets people wouldn't uh, people always thought and i can say even i felt probably sometimes that the, many people need bosses sitting above their heads to work or deliver results right and that's the reason work from home as a culture was never appreciated in our country or in many asian right. countries but today, I can tell you, people are more productive sitting at home. Uh, look at the channel behavior. I mean, many big companies had just a very static website. Today, they are expecting them to be an Amazon, right? I mean, I will not name them, but think of it. Many big companies had just a website or not even have a good website that was up to date. Yep. So I think there is significant uh, behavioral change, uh, which is what the coronavirus has taught us. There's definitely a lot of rewiring and those who thought uh, good websites and good processes were left to only new age businesses and not for them. 
are are now seeing reality very differently uh hopefully it is you know like i said it's just going to leave the world in a better way with a lot because of a lot of processes uh, i think work from home is a very good example right uh, i think uh, i covered this in in a couple of episodes prior but you know we've moved from uh not embracing work from home before because you you always thought people wanted to you know do other things and not actually work to now saying you know what we have actually figured out a way to work from home and hence uh, people will be more um appreciative of the fact that people are taking a work from home and, and probably you know they they can uh expect a delivery at the end of the day for example right um, yeah what's the covid outlook now what's what's next for service yeah so uh, you know with due respect uh, this was the time which actually helped us scale our business significantly in fact june was our best month ever in the history of service five mm. july july will surpass june numbers also as the best month ever so we did uh, over 200% of our target uh, largely because you know while on the one side the shops are closed there is lockdown everywhere but i think Uh, the channel behavior shifted quicker than that we thought and again in our business no you sign a contract on month 1 but you actually start execution on month 10 month 12 because integrations getting everybody in the ecosystem right from contracting to actual execution takes 8 9 10 months but all the last uh, you know past years hard efforts uh, are starting to see results now and i think uh, because your objective is a win win uh you want uh, even the partners that you work with whether it is apple samsung xiaomi anyone they also don't want to don't want to lose any opportunity and make every opportunity to make money right so i think that's helped us so covid uh, post covid recovery has been fantastic for us as a company uh hope we'll continue to uh, scale from there but uh, unfortunately yes uh, covid has impacted everybody including our partners and us as a company when it came to first couple of months Uh, but we took uh, those hard choices that we will not sack anyone we will not reduce salary for anyone uh, we will mm. get back to normalcy as soon as possible and from june onwards we are back in, back in uh, normalcy i would say that's phenomenal i i think one of those uh, you know fortunate businesses to to get the bump uh, the covid bump and hopefully you know it continues awesome see this has been amazing uh, thanks for sharing you know uh, from your experience and what you've been up to uh you know thanks thanks a lot this has been awesome